Well, it's good to be with you today. Uh, I'm Rabbi Ed. I lead the Wesley Chapel branch and South Bay branch of Shoresh David. Thank you, Ravi. I just told Ravi I love his beard. It's great. I never could grow a good beard. I did have one when I was in Israel, a little bit of a goatee anyway, but wasn't that great. You know, Yom Kippur is a, a very serious day, and rightly so. But sometimes in life, we need a bit of comic relief right in the midst of very serious times. So it is in that spirit of comic relief that I will open with a few fun thoughts on Yom Kippur. So here we go. First, let me remind you that Jewish mothers have a reputation for laying a guilt trip on their adult kids because they don't keep in contact enough, right? So did you hear that it's Yom Kippur, a.k.a. the Day of Atonement, where we are forgiven for not calling our mothers enough? Did you hear about the Jewish person who said he was allowed to eat McDonald's on Yom Kippur? He said, yes, I know it's Yom Kippur, but McDonald's is fast food. <laughs> Did you hear that the year National Taco Day fell on Yom Kippur, Israel claimed this to be an example of anti-Semitism? Just, say, just saying, there's a lot that can be classified as anti-Semitism, right? And offering free tacos on this fast day can be considered downright criminal. <laughs> Did you hear about the Yom Kippur evening in the old Jewish neighborhood? Everyone was heading to services, and on his way to synagogue, the rabbi noticed one of his neighbors, an old-timer, sitting on a park bench. Sam, aren't you going to services? Not this year, rabbi. Why not, Sam? Don't you think you should ask God for another year of good health? Rabbi, I'm 93 years old. Most of my friends are gone. And I have a hunch. I think that in heaven, they've forgotten about me. And the last thing I want to do is remind them. Friends, Yom Kippur is the day you should realize that God in heaven does not forget about you. He sees, he knows your every move, your every thought, and the motives of your heart. Whether you rem remind him of your sins or not, he knows them. Scripture tells us God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Yeshua purifies us from all sin. Now let's just pause and think about this for a bit. The verses which, are fo which follow the, this verse are probably very familiar to most of us. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just righteous to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 
cleansing or purifying is what the Day of Atonement is all about. The act of atonement brings reconciliation between us and God. Cleansing begins with confessing or acknowledging our sin before God. And in the time of ancient Israel, we can read in the Bible how on Yom Kippur, a.k.a. the Day of Atonement, Aaron the high priest laid both his hands on a live goat and confessed over it all the sins of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel. And then the goat would be sent away into the wilderness. The symbolism was of transferring the sins of the nation of Israel to the goat. And this goat, known as the scapegoat, carried symbolically all the nation's sins into the wilderness. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of B'nai Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, he should place them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat will carry all their iniquities by itself into a solitary land, and he is to leave the goat in the wilderness. However, before this confession of sin over this live goat, there was also another goat which was slaughtered as a sin offering for the people. And the high priest was to take the blood along with the blood of a slaughtered bull behind the curtain in to the holiest place of the tabernacle and sprinkle it on the atonement cover and before the atonement cover. In this way, he made atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the sins of the people. He also made atonement for the altar by dabbing the blood on the horns of the altar and sprinkling the blood with his finger seven times to cleanse and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Two important things to notice with the two goats. First, blood was shed to make atonement. Second, there was a symbolic transferal of the people's sins to the scapegoat. This was an object lesson for us of the ultimate atonement that God would provide for us through the blood of his son, Yeshua, which purifies us from all sin. Yeshua's blood shed for you is not only the atonement for your sin, but he is also the scapegoat who carries away your sin when you ask him and trust in him. Acknowledging or confessing our sin is spiritually a healthy practice to do every day and not only on the day of atonement. Let us remember God's promise that he is faithful, he is righteous, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we do this, he does this based on the blood of his son Yeshua, which purifies us from all sin. But let's look at that verse once again and notice there is a condition for the blood of Yeshua purifying us from all sin. It says, read it with me, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So if you walk in the light as God is in the light, this indicates an energy source from God 
that you are given to enable you to live a victorious life over sin. Light is a source of energy because light itself is energy. Light is a wave that simply moves energy without overall transfer, transferring matter. When you walk in the light, you absorb the energy of the light. We know that light is energy because if you, you place a black plate or anything else out in the sun on a sunny day, the plate gets warmer. This is because the energy of light is being converted into thermal energy that causes the plate to heat up. In the same way, God wants us to walk in his light to receive the energy we need to be warm towards others. Are you walking in God's light? Absorbing his energy to show warmth to others. One key indicator that you are plugged into this energy source, God's energy source, is that you are having fellowship with one another. This means you're gathering together regularly and loving and caring for one another. It means you're being kind and tender-hearted towards one another. It means you are forgiving one another, even as God, for Messiah's sake, has forgiven you. To detect light, you need an instrument or an eye that can detect the wavelength frequency that light is at. Many kinds of light exist that we cannot see. Radio waves are light, but we cannot see them. Our eyes do not have the ability to see the wavelength frequency. In a similar way, we need spiritual eyes or a spiritual instrument to detect God's light. We need the Spirit of God coming to open our heart and enable us to have eyes to see, ears to hear from God and to reflect His light to others. You can measure the speed of light by timing the amount of time it takes from, for, uh, for light from a source, for example, a flashlight, to reach another point, say that wall over there. It's too fast for us to detect, so it seems instant, but it is possible to time. If God is the source of light, then the closer you are to Him, then the faster it will be seen that you are walking in His light. This is a time for us to draw close to God. And we cannot do that by denying or trying to hide or cover up our wrongdoings, our wrong thoughts, or our wrong motives of our hearts. If you're trying to explain your reasons for your wrong actions, you're not truly repenting. You have got to expose your wrongs to God's light by confessing them to Him. And this requires more than just saying you are sorry and then forgetting and doing the same thing, same wrong things again. This requires a true recognition of and sorrow for how your wrong actions hurt God, hurt others, hurt you. It requires a determination that you will change with God's help. On the first day of this week, a number of us participated in a mikvah or an immersion pool, being immersed in Mayim Chaim, 
living, not stagnant, waters. And that's considered in Judaism an ingredient needful in the process of regaining purity. The mikvah is used as an element of teshuvah, or repentance, before the Lord. According to some scholars, the building of the mikvah was so important in ancient times that it was said to take precedence over the construction of a synagogue. Why is the mikvah such an important element of repentance from sin? Because this ritual symbolizes a spiritual reality. We need regular cleansing from sin. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. God's saying two evils that his people have committed. They have forsaken me, the spring of living waters, or water, and they dug their own cisterns, cracked cisterns that hold no water. In this verse, the Lord calls himself the spring of living water. God himself is the source of our cleansing. The waters of a mikvah are but an object lesson for us of the cleansing God himself gives us spiritually. And what are the two evils God says his people committed? First, forsaking God who gives the cleansing and the life-giving water. And second, trying to make their own ways of being cleansed and survive in life. Water symbolizes life. Our planet without water could not sustain life. The earth is referred to as the blue planet because of the abundance of water on the planet. Over 70% of the earth's surface is comprised of water, producing a vivid blue color viewed from space. The earth's oceans contain about 1.3 billion cubic kilometers of space, which is 95% of all habitable area on the planet. In addition to covering most of the Earth's surface area, the oceans provide a habitat for somewhere between 700,000 and 1 million living species. Many barriers to exploring the ocean still exist, and as many as two-thirds of marine species have yet to be identified. This makes the oceans one of the last remaining unexplored frontiers of science. Yet God knows every inch of the oceans. Think about it. He knows every inch of the oceans just as he knows what is deep in our hearts. In the beginning, we're told that God creates the heavens and the earth and he uses water, we're told. We read in Genesis 1-2, the Ruach Elohim the Spirit of God was hovering upon the surface of the water. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water. Let it be for separating water from water. So God made the expanse and it separated the water that was below the expanse from the water that was above the expanse. And it happened so. God called the expanse sky. So there was evening, there was morning, a second day. And then God said, I got ahead of myself. God said, let the water below the sky be gathered to one place. Let the dry ground appear. And it happened so. God called the dry ground land and the collection of the water he called seas. 
and God saw it was good. Water symbolizes life, and God is its source. The Day of Atonement is calling us not to forsake God, our source of life. Water is an analogy of what we long for and we desperately need for life. How often have we sought for water or what we long for in life from sources other than God? How often have we dug our own cisterns, cracked cisterns that hold no water, only to find them ultimately unsatisfying? How often have we found ourselves thirsting for that which will truly nourish our hearts? Some of us are fasting today from food, but also some of us are staying away from drinking water. And this should remind us of our spiritual need to thirst after God. Yeshua spoke of living water that he would give to those who ask, who ask him. He explained this water that he gives would become a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And he said, whoever believes or trusts in him would experience this from one's innermost being, the rivers of living water would flow. And by this, Yeshua is referring to the outpouring of God's Spirit on those who ask Him and trust in Him. John 4, 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become a fountain of water within, springing up to eternal life. The Romans mockingly hailed Yeshua as a king, the king of the Jews. After thoroughly scourging the master, sending his body into shock, the Roman soldiers entertained themselves with a game. They dressed him in a royal robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns such as the laurel wreaths worn by Caesars of those, in those days. They placed a reed in his hand to serve as a scepter a twisting of the messianic prophecy that speaks of the Messiah's strong scepter of iron. The soldiers knelt before him, prostrated themselves before him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And the game turned violent and they began to slap him across the face, spit on him, strike him with the reed and beat him on the head. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Trying to sound like a royal herald, Pilate declared to the crowd, Behold the man. In the Roman era, the words, Behold the man, functioned as an acclamation similar to Hail the King. Pilate's sarcastic Words made it clear that he considered Yeshua's kingship to be a laughable joke. The royal robe, the crown of thorns, the scepter, and the, the, the title, Hail the King of the Jews, and Behold the Man, were all satanic mockeries of the messianic coronation. He is the king of the Jews. And one day, he will be crowned, robed, and handed a scepter to rule over Jerusalem. And then every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Yeshua, the Messiah, is master to the glory of God the Father. True disciples of Yeshua not only hail him king, they submit to his authority over their lives and live for his kingdom. Yom Kippur is a very serious day as it's considered to be the time that Israel is to be cleansed of sin before God. It is a time for our cleansing as well. A student kept bugging his friend. What time is it? Finally, his friend complained, why don't you get a watch like the rest of us? The student retorted, why do I need a watch? There's always someone around to ask the time. But what can you do in the middle of the night when you are alone and need to know what time it is? That's easy. I blow my shofar. You what? I blow my shofar. Whenever I wake up and I need to know what time it is, I open the window, I blow my shofar very loudly, and literally within a few seconds I hear someone yell, Are you crazy? It's 2.45 in the morning. <laughs> well, this is part of the reason we blow the shofar at Rosh Hashanah in Yom Kippur. We need to know what time it is. This is a season, a time to repent and acknowledge our sins before God. May we truly hear God's shofar sounding for us to have a serious attitude, a meaningful reflection, asking God to search our hearts to see if there be any offensive way within us and lead us in the way everlasting. Many times we have difficulty reverently focusing on our relationship with the Lord and in considering where we need to improve in our spiritual walk. For us, while recognizing that our ultimate forgiveness is indeed found in Yeshua, we still need to know that we are humans with a fallen, fallen sinful nature and that we need the Lord to empower us for good works. We need to be reminded that without Him, we are nothing. And we need to intercede for the salvation of others. I spoke this past Shabbat about the connection between Yom Kippur, the Jubilee, and the good news of liberty being proclaimed. And we find this in Leviticus chapter 25 and the prophet Isaiah chapter 61 connecting to this idea of the Jubilee, proclaiming liberty. And Yeshua's fulfillment in Luke 4, when he, re he read from this passage in the synagogue in Nazareth. At first, the people at the Nazareth synagogue spoke well of Yeshua and his gracious words. But when he challenged the motives of the heart, the people then turned on him. With rage, they drove him out of the town to throw him off the edge of the cliff. But Yeshua passed through the crowd. He went on his way. The reaction of the people of Nazareth to Yeshua shows us just how dark and in bondage our human hearts can be. Yom Kippur, especially the Jubilee, is to be a time of liberty. That liberty of the heart to, is still available to all people, Jew or Gentile, who would respond to Yeshua's call. God's shofar is blowing this Yom Kippur, proclaiming freedom. Freedom. May we receive the liberty that can only come through faith in God's Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth. Yom Kippur is a powerful reminder that our Messiah fulfilled both the role of high priest and 
the sacrifice. Yeshua provides for us forgiveness of our sins, a right relationship with God, and eternal life. Yeshua entered the heavenly holies once for all. His blood was given as he offered himself without blemish to God to cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 9, verse 13 and 14 says, If the blood of goats and bulls satisfy for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah? To understand this in the light of the context of Hebrews 9, 9, which just said the sacrifices offered could not make the worshipers perfect with respect to conscience. We must ask, in what sense did the blood of goats and bulls sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. Obviously, it was not a perfect sanctifying for the cleansing of the flesh. First, it was a temporary sanctifying, and it had to be repeated time and again. Second, it was an obedience-based sanctifying, for it was their obedience to God's command to do this, which granted them sanctification for the cleansing of the flesh. And third, it was not the blood of the goats and bulls itself that brought cleansing, but what this represented as a symbol of the blood of Messiah, which would be shed in the future. The writer of Hebrews chapter 9 is contrasting and emphasizing how much more, how much more the blood of Messiah cleanses the conscious. Yeshua has been revealed once and for all at the close of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And this sacrifice has been applied in heaven itself. Yeshua offers right standing with God to all who ask him. He's the only one who enables your name, your name to be written in God's book of life. God's everlasting way is found by trusting in Yeshua. Simply acknowledge your sin before God today Receive God's gift of forgiveness and life that he offers you through trusting in Yeshua. Let us today give thanks to God as you remember Yeshua shedding his blood for you, allowing his body to be broken for you. Give thanks. Give thanks. God, God's ultimate atonement is in Yeshua. Yeshua is saying today to each of you, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He is the source of life-giving water. Shana Tova. Gemra Katima Tova. Have a good year and a good final sealing. Hallelujah and Amen.